Hi, and welcome to the Wires Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. I'm Chris O'Fault, the editor of the Toolkit. My guest this week is director Luca Guadagnino, whose Call Me By Your Name has been one of the very best-reviewed films of the year ever since it premiered at Sundance last January, and then this week won the Gotham Award for Best Picture, while becoming 2017's highest-grossing film per theater in its limited release in New York and L.A. When I sat down with Luca in October, we not only talked about this incredibly moving summer love story starring Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet, but also about his remaking of Dario Argento's Suspiria, which we'll likely get to see sometime in early 2018. This week's episode of the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast is brought to you by the new Fox Searchlight film, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. From writer-director Martin McDonough comes a darkly comic tale of revenge and redemption starring Academy Award winner Francis McDormand with an all-star supporting cast including Woody Harrelson, Sam Rockwell, Peter Dinklage, Lucas Hedges, and John Hawkes. Three Billboards won the Toronto Film Festival's People's Choice Award and is certified fresh with 96% of top critics on Rotten Tomatoes, now playing nationwide. And here's my conversation from back in October with Luca Guadagnino. I saw I saw Call Me By Your Name back in January. And the reason, the, yeah, the reason I bring that up is, um, you know, when you see a movie, you, you recall, you know, you, there's certain things that you recall. And with this movie, more than I, any other that I'd seen quite a bit, I recall a feeling of a sense of place, a sense of time. It seems to be very central to the emotions and the feeling of, of, of your movie is, is a texture, almost sense of place, almost a feeling associated with, with your stories. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, uh, I would say yes, and, and yes because uh, uh, I cannot understand how else you create a story if you don't uh, start from the principle of uh, figuring the landscape. Uh, it's something that, it sounds to me natural, it sounds to me something that has to do with the, the way a movie has to be made. I, 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 I think that we are all who we are because of the relationship that intertwine us, but also because of uh, the way we behave into this given space. And I think that that's something that uh, is uh, applicable to any kind of film, any kind of story. Like how would you describe, for instance, uh, uh, the character of Ellen Burstyn in The Exorcist? if you would uh, uh, withdraw her from the specificity of Georgetown, that house, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, she's a woman who play, who's living a place that is not hers. And ha ha all her behavior is informed by the fact that she's in a foreign place for herself, to the degree in which the uncanny shows up. Uh, yeah. Is this something for you that with this movie, just the main house, is that something where this, at what point did you have to find that house and is that something where, in that landscape, is that, is that the point at which well, this movie Well, the movie, real? the book is set in, um, in Liguria. Mm -hmm. The different incarnation of the scripts that has been written, including the one that was written by Ivory with me, mm -hmm. and James uh, Ivory. Uh, was, uh, were set in other places. But when I became the director of the movie, I uh, immediately decided to move the action to where I live for, because one of the reasons was because I knew the house, because I've seen that house. And I felt very strongly 
the dead place, which we changed a lot, which we decorated in a way that is fitting our story, mm -hmm. yet uh, the, bo the bones, the structure of the house was there, and it was really strongly informing me of the fact that uh, it was perfect for the characters in the film. And is it even the time of day, I have to assume, I mean, your cinematographer did a beautiful job, but I have to imagine even the, the quality of the light and thinking about it in those terms. Is that something else you were thinking about in terms of, is that you were Yes and no, because uh, yes, of course, but then when we started shooting, it was raining all the time. So mm -hmm. we had to create <laughs> a light that was not real. I would have never guessed that seeing that movie. 20, we had we had scheduled 30 days of shoot, six uh, week, five weeks, six days, and we ended up shooting 34 of which 28 were heavy rains. You must have been freaking out. So we were freaking out and we were reconstructing the light every day. That's why we delayed four days because there were no time to finish the film. That is unreal. I did not know that. Yeah, because I, you know, I, I, even the way there's a sense of um, the exterior and the interior that I love. Um, and I think that's partially probably something that's um, native to the region and the way that the windows are built and the way that our light, lights are, but there's that sense, especially in, in, in private moments and in, in kind of internal moments, that that relationship, it almost reminds me a little bit of Renoir, like there's a little bit of that relationship of, of the exterior, uh, thinking of the exterior in terms of the interior, I'm sorry, thinking of the interior in terms of that exterior. Yeah, we played with that a lot. A lot of times you see through windows what is outside and that reflects this, the moods of the characters. Mm -hmm. It comes to my mind two scenes. One is when we are outside and we see him uh, in the inside uh, being lazy and bored and then the girlfriend of Oliver shows up and he speaks to her through the window. Mm -hmm. And the other scene is when he's in the bathroom in the night and the mother and the father are downstairs accompanying the friends away and they are laughing and they're a bit drunk and mm -hmm. he spots Oliver on the balcony, and it's all about the, the, what the French would call the mise en abîme of the look, you know, like the depths of the look that mm -hmm. fall into one another, and that's something that the interior and exterior relationship is very important. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you refer to Renoir because, of course, we were really, really strongly, strongly uh, drawn to to his film cinema. Uh, Partie de Campagne has been a great. A great influence for us. Is this something I'm wondering? I went back and watched a couple of the films this week. Is this something in terms of as you make more and more films? Is this part that we're talking about it about um, light and space? Is this something where you feel like you're you can actually f feel like you have more control? You're getting stronger with each film. Is this something where every movie is the first film for me? Mm -hmm. I start every time with more. Uh, uh, and more sense of uh, discovery and at the same time I am I become more and more confident of uh, choosing only few things not giving myself the, the, lux the luxury or I would say the indulgence of too many choices mm -hmm. I think one of the great uh, dangers in cinema is uh, how wide are your choices and you can see that into the decadence of movies that cost a million millions of dollars, where you are left. I think in the, the industry, in these worst uh, expressions, is looking for 
having uh, putting the directors in the position of having a lot of choices and shooting a lot of material so that eventually they will figure it out in the editing room. Mm -hmm. In fact, Alfred Hitchcock was not doing anything but exactly what he needed, mm -hmm. and it, there was only one way to edit his film, which was his way. Uh, and do you uh, find yourself narrowing and limiting, almost finding a simplicity? I like to narrow myself a lot. Yeah. I like, I really, it's beautiful for me, it's such an amazing, Often in movies, you, you lose a location, mm -hmm. you have a big problem with something, mm -hmm. and you see everybody like, oh my God, how do we do? Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy. Every time there is a disruption, I'm happy. That's mm -hmm. one thing I find, and I say this because I, I, I've noticed your filmmaking get better, and, I, and one thing that with, with filmmakers that I love is that as they become, as they be, is that, that I use the word simplicity. There's like a, there, there becomes this element of, um, not feeling this need to layer, but like putting the exact elements that they want and working within a, a certain framework and, and, and kind of like almost like a more of a purity than I think sometimes when people are starting, there's this tendency, well, this on top of this layer, it, it creates meaning. Yeah, we can draw the metaphor from, from cuisine. I mean, what is better than a fantastic rhubarb tart? I think uh, you can't beat that uh, with uh, like a big cake with a lot of cream and a lot of fruit and a lot of custard and a lot of sponge, you know, like, yeah. I think it's about uh, finding the essence of things with your, with your own voice. Mm. But I think, uh, you know, like there are Baroque filmmakers who, who grew into finding the essence of their Baroqueism. I'm thinking of Brian De Palma, for instance, you know, like, mm -hmm. or, this, or Hitchcock himself again. And, and there are directors who are not capable of that because they are not capable of speaking the language of cinema. They don't believe in it or they don't understand how to approach it. I'm not going to name them. <laughs> Wasn't looking for that. Um, I know. I, you know, I, 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 I got the sense in reading other interviews that you do not like to make a connection between the fact that you used to do criticism and now that, that, that you're a filmmaker. But I, the one thing that I would carry over is, is that I, I feel like listening to you that that does come from a lesson from completely engaging and loving certain filmmakers and seeing how their career progresses. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm really biased. If I love a filmmaker, I'm going to love him forever, yeah. or her. Even, in the, in, even, in, even if they do bad movies, yeah. I'm, <clears throat> I'm really of the school of the politics of the authors, but in the sense that they gave it to it in the 50s, I would say, which is something neglected. The, who were the greatest authors for the Cahiers du Cinema gang at the time? It was Howard Hawks, it was Raoul Walsh, Nicholas Ray. it was Nicholas Ray, it was Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. All people that were the opposite of the author that, is been, that solidified itself mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the contemporary of the art cinema. You know? Mm -hmm. There's a discovery there. The sense of uh, just, I think, going to the Cinematheque and just getting dumped all these American films, I think there was a sense of discovery at that point. And, and, and yeah. it's something that they felt like was missing in their own. I also think it's about um, I think it's about understanding how to portray uh, uh, how, to, how to shape a visuality for things. And cinema is about that. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What was speaking of that? I have not read the book, but I, you know, I got a sense of I, I, I've 
you know, it's still a book, and I, I flipped through it the other day. I imagine in terms of that, how natural, and I realized, I think there was some scripts that had existed before you had gotten involved, right? James Ivory had already written. No, James had, they hadn't written no, nothing. Ever. Okay, then, then maybe the source material for you, the starting point was the book. That sense of what was, I'm sure there was some feeling, there was some emotion, there was something about the story that was connecting with you, but what was that hard, that, that most difficult part in terms of adapting that story and, and putting it in, in, in your language, in your visuals? Well, in the book, there is a lot of discussions. In the there, there is a, a lot to, uh, is is devoted to the uh, uh, representation of this uh, intellectual class. So you see a lot of intellectuals. They read a lot of book. They go into a, lo a, a lot of places where it's a community of intellectuals that are dissecting art. So that for me was a, li a little bit uh, contrived. If you bring it to the screen, because it would have uh, detached for me the, the now and then of Elio and Oliver. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't difficult, but it was a decision to be made. For me, the script um, is a tool until you shoot. And when you shoot, there is no more script. When you prep, I have, there is nothing sacred in a script for me. Nothing. It has to be m meeting the proof of the mise-en-scene, you know? so. Sometimes in scripts you have a lot of description and stuff that eventually I completely discard because they don't meet the reality. Jean Renoir, again, says uh, you have to leave the door open to reality when you shoot a film. And I'm radical in that, very much. So I think it's important to think of a scene for what the, st the elements you have signifies and where they're heading more than thinking I need to and to put together what is written mm. you know yeah. and what about because a lot of what the conflict in these characters is a lot of it is so internal it's not something you know this is this is a, a gay love story but and there is a sense of repression but it's not they're not in one of these containers one of these spaces that's they're fearing for their lives, or we've seen a lot of these stories. It, it, a lot of what is holding them back is, is themselves. I have to imagine that kind of how to express that conflict, a lot of that has to be in terms of motion and in terms of getting the two actors and figuring out how, how they're going to play off each other in the movement. Or is that, something that you, is that something where you worked with them ahead of time, or is it something that you had all figured out? We all figured it out. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that progresses day by day. This movie we shot almost in, 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 in chronological, order. chronological order. Yeah, I think it's the relationship. And the DP is important in this. Yeah. Did you work with them beforehand? With the actors? Yeah. No, not, not really. I spent time with them. I wanted to make sure to, that I could have access to them in a way that I could understand them. Bertolucci says all the time that a, a movie is not only the story you tell and the characters you are ex portraying, but it's also a, a sort of x-ray of the actors that are embodying those characters. And, the, and that your machine, x-ray machine, is the camera. I, I do believe, I do believe that uh, the best coming out of, of, a, of a movie experience is when you have 
the sensation that you have been going through a, a fiction and, and a, in a documentary at the same time. So for me, it's important to be able to know my actors uh, to, uh, on a degree that their trust to, to me is such that they will be naked in front of the camera for me, but not literally, sometimes maybe, but not literally, but that they don't put a sort of, uh, that they don't use their art as a, f a, a shield of defense. Many times, actors act and they use that as a way to protect themselves. That's something that I really don't like at all. But also in films, like when I see a movie and I see an actor acting, an actress, when they say, oh, she acts so well, it's really almost unbearable for me. It's pornographic. And that's something you can sense, though, in having the conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm really, like, I'm merciless when it comes to that. Like, I'm really, really tough I, now that I talk to you and I realize that because, you know, I just cannot stand fakeness. When or at least uh, uh, I can't uh, accept an, act, an attitude where there is a sense of defense that leads to the modesty of something that is a, a sort of reproduction of something. I much rather prefer to see the real life of something. You know, and, and, and drama, it's all about, it's kitsch, drama is kitsch. What was your approach to casting in the sense of, I mean, you found two great actors to play these leads. Was it something where matching the actor to the character, or is there a sense of that you were also casting the pair? That in the sense that how Army and Timothy I wasn't casting the pair. No, so it didn't matter. It was more they had to be right for They them. were perfect for the roles. And I loved them, and I wanted them, and I felt that if I loved them and I wanted them, they were going to love and want one another. It was a bet. Well, you be, you have to always make a bet. I said to a colleague of yours before that the filmmakers are all charlatans. You know, you have to pretend that you know what you're doing. And you have to pretend that uh, you are um, doing something very deep. But that sometimes you are really a charlatan, that you are improvising and making bets. What about the pacing of this film? This is something where, in the theater that I saw it with all the energy, I think I probably saw it that, that, that opening night that you were there. Which uh, one? Uh, at Sundance. Oh yeah, first it, screening. It, it, it's one of those things where you get entranced by um, this movie. You fall into, even when it's a little bit lazy, you, you feel, it, the characters being not lazy, not, not your filmmaking, but even that, in that kind of like lazy summerness, you are, you're always feeling the atmosphere, you're always engaged, I always wonder, though, for a film like this, is that something where, both in terms of shooting and editing, you can kind of lose that? You can kind of sense of like, do I need to let this moment, something that's not doesn't have a lot of action, that's not that doesn't necessarily have. Well, a uh, yeah, conflict. of course. Like when they go in the bike before they reach the town where they see the monument. It's beautiful, but how long? We do you were thinking, you uh, like we had different length. Do you cut immediately? When they start riding, do you cut? Do you cut middle way so you have an average mm -hmm. li length or you keep it until the very end? And we decided to keep it until the very end because the first one was snappy and efficient, but in a way was lacking the sense of uh, 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 wonderment and, 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 and waiting and, 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 and delaying the, the inevitable. 
the middle ground was TV, and so for us it was like impossible. <laughs> so we had to go for the lounge, loungingness of it, for the because the endurance. It's something that Scorsese tells a lot about. Sometimes you have to hold a, s- a shot longer than you expect in order to make the movie pace better. It's true. And also when you're dealing with desire, that's a hard thing too, because obviously you're, you, you want to hold, when there's a sense of desire between these characters, you, that's something you want to hold, but there's a sense of like, at what point is that individual for the audience member? Like that sense of like wanting something, of, of feeling it. Is that, it, I, I guess what I'm really trying to figure out, is that something where you discover that on set and because it feels so real, it just, you just preserve it in the editing room? Or is it something? Both, we build a lot and we preserve a lot. Depends on the film. Was there a longer version? Was there a much longer? Was there a yeah, we had a very long version of the movie, but we, changed, we took some scenes off. It was, there were much, many more scenes. More scenes? Yeah. Also, Suspiria was much longer than what is it now. Your version? My version. Okay. Yeah, yeah my version. Okay, I haven't seen your version. Of course, I'm <laughs> stupid. I, I just I'm talking as if the, no, the world I was, knows I was, it. I was, wondering, I was wondering if I was about to see it or something. <laughs> yeah, there is a special thing tonight. Because <laughs> um, you, you're done with that, right? Almost, yeah. Is that, is, was that fun? That's a different thing I you, wouldn't right? use the word fun, to be honest. It was, very, very, it was a very tiring process. Very intense film. What made you want to do that one? Oh, I, I wanted to make Suspiria when I was 14, when I saw it for the first time. I said to myself, what the fuck? The, the emotions I felt then felt to me so strong that I immediately started to fantasize about these witches and the dance. And, and I found myself uh, fairly soon uh, uh, taking notes on, on a way I would have made it. You know, like I had my notebooks of when I was 15 where you have my poster saying Luca Guadagnino Suspiria and my drawings of how I would do it. I feel that it was about uh, really the blasting emotion I had, like boom, it was a fist in the face. And I then realized, uh, I had an epiphany about Dario Argento in which, uh, which is a director I Mm -hmm. loved dearly. Um, I realized that Dario is very kind, he's a very gentle, there is something gentle and kind, almost childish in his filmmaking. And I have always been attracted by very tough filmmakers. Like I'm a, I love Nagisa Oshima, such a tough filmmaker. People who doesn't shy away. Uh, John McNaughton, Harry, uh, Portrait of a Serial Killer. For me, it's one of the greatest movies ever made in the 90s. Like, was, like it's in, in, incredibly beautiful. It's tough, you know, like Pasolini's Salo, tough. I am of that school, but in the, so I realized that there was something about Dario that wasn't part of, it didn't belong to the school of the, uh, of the, of the terminal cinema that I used to like. Mm-hmm. And yet, the emotion I felt when I saw it at 14 was terminal to me. So I wanted to connect to that and try to make it again. But in the meantime, I grew up and I became a director who is interested in toughness or in a way in relentlessness. And um, so the movie I made, uh, which you'll see sometimes in 2018, if you want to, um, it's more, 
it's more um, I would say it's more adult and, and brutal than than the Suspira by Dario on one hand and it's uh, an homage to him on the other hand well when there is that difference there's room for you to step in right it's like you can appreciate what he's doing but if there's that tone and the difference it's like it's, it's I think that Dario Argento's Suspiria it's a masterpiece and it's in ir, 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 it's there. Mm-hmm. Had you seen? I, I'm a little confused about the backstory here, but the, in New York, it's been this big thing where these there's been these um, new prints of it discovered. Um, of Dario? Of of um, of, um, of the original movie. I don't know the backstory. I don't know. I saw okay. the movie so many times. I see. So you've seen. I've so seen you have so many restored versions. Uh, there's some new print that was. It's like uh, you never. You know, it's like you, you don't discard anything. There is a new pair of version of Atalant for what matters. But I remember 20 years ago, I saw a beautiful restored version of Atalant. So there, maybe there will be another restored version of Atalant in 20 years. The uh, big father speech at the end of this movie um, is, and th- this is a spoiler, so this will be, this will we'll wrap up here, but um, it, it was incredibly moving. It was, I'm, I'm a new father and, uh, you know, Michael Schulberg is now like on my mantle of uh, of what I want to be in in in, in, in fourteen years. Um, but I, there's an element here, and I imagine you're from the school too, which is that someone talking for that long for meaning to come in 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 long text and long speech um, is that going to carry? Of course it does, and of course you've earned it at the end of the film. But is that something where you just knew that you were always going to, to earn that moment, or was there a concern of, of having him speak that long and that it would resonate the way that it ultimately did? I showed the script to a friend of mine, which is a great director that I don't want to name here. Mm-hmm. He told me you don't need the monologue of the father because you have all the elements of that monologue in the movie and in the story. And I kindly disagreed with him. And I said, that was the only moment in which I really thought about the length of the thing. I said, no, I don't agree. And we kept going. Mm-hmm. So the answer is no. I just did what I wanted in terms of getting there. Yeah, you have to earn. But you know, you never know. You never know. Maybe, you, maybe I finish Suspiria in January. Mm-hmm. I watch it and I think it's a masterpiece. I'm so happy. And then we show it and it's a bomb. And people hate it. And it's disgusting. And it's going to be like ludicrous to the audience and to the critics. Who knows? You never know. You never know. It's difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult. You, are, you work in a vacuum. You, have, you may have gut feelings that something is working. You may show the movie to somebody before and have some snippets of a reaction that can tell you where maybe it's heading, but it's never sure. So you, know, you don't know. If I think of, I, do I have to earn it? It's going to be good. I would be paralyzed. <laughs> is it something where you had to have Michael read it? Is it something like one of the first things that you did when you thought about it? Well, it's more an exorcism than a real thing, but I usually do put everybody around the table and we read the script and then mm-hmm. it's done. We did that. I, I think in, in, in watching it again, I think the thing that makes it really work is it's about what he's not saying. And so that becomes the, that becomes the power of it. Yeah. And it becomes it's all the, all, the, all the hooked moment between the father and the son, the, look, the way they look at one another. Mm-hmm. His caress at the end, I think it's beautiful, the way he caresses him. He 
puts his cigarette in his mouth and then caresses it. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Michael Stewart is such a fantastic, fantastic actor. I mean, divine. No, you're not going to get an argument from me on that one. Um, it's a wonderful film, I, I think, um, and I, I think a lot of people, I think it's going to do very well here, um, <laughs> and uh, we're very Hopefully. excited. No, I, I, it, it's 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 hitting. I think it's going to hit a real sweet spot with this with with the audience. Um, and we're and you're thinking the next movie. We're thinking Superior, like January, February, or is it not? That's when you're going to finish. I'm I'm I am finishing my movie on on January. Finishing you're finishing it. Meaning I'm finishing the mm-hmm. everything like what's this mix and stuff. Mm-hmm. The delivery of the movie. It's February. So and so that's someone else's decision when it's going to go. Call Amazon and see what they say. I will. I'll call Ted up and see. Yeah, I'll call Ted. Call Ted. Todd is my hero. He's fantastic. <laughs> I am surrounded by beautiful heroes. Ted Hope, Michael Barker, Tom Bernard. I mean, I've been lucky. This year have been great. Sony Classics. Well, that was also the other thing. Right before the film showed at, at Sundance, um, the fact that they quickly kind of jumped on it. Like that oh, it was to, great. That had because they're for this movie they're perfect. That I mean, this is like the perfect mit- match of content and distributor. I love them. Yeah. I'm having the best of time with Sony Classics. It's beautiful. I'm, it's great to see how they do it. And, uh, and uh, I'm proud to spend time with Michael Barker. He's fantastic. He's a legend. I don't want to say that he's a legend because he looks like ancient. He's not ancient. He's sexy, sexy young man. <laughs> but yet he's a legend. <laughs> right, Lucas. He's sexy. I think Michael Barker is sexy. That's the headline for the that, podcast. That's, that, that's the headline? Yes. <laughs> Uh, basing a new character on him. I think Mr. Perlman is a little bit like Michael Barker, I would say. There is something about Barker and Perlman that coincides. Okay. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. You're going to have to really uh, work on, uh, you know, I, I've seen Michael a bunch and it's usually in screenings, so uh, you're going to have to work a little bit on the um, how to externalize emotion with him sitting in a dark theater. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> Luca, it was really nice to meet you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Congratulations I appreciate on the movie. It. That was great. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.